Hey, this is Casey Newton, Silicon Valley editor at The Verge. And if you're listening to this, I'm already dead. Just kidding. I've got even better news. I've got a new podcast for you. It's called Converge, and it's an interview game show featuring the biggest personalities in tech. Each week, a new guest steps into the hot seat to talk about their wildest dreams. It is a lifelong dream to be on a game show. And I tell them not to stand on my chair. This is the most fun I've ever had on a podcast. We'll bring you fresh games, new ideas, and a sense of what it's like to build a company from the people who are actually doing it. Then, at the end of every episode, we solve a murder. The first episode drops Wednesday, May 23rd, wherever you get your podcasts. You've never heard a tech show like this. Hello, and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast of The Verge and everything. I have some news based on what Paul just told me. We are now an ASMR webcast. That's where the buddy's at. You can pay for us on Twitch Prime. Paul will just be whispering your name (laughs) whenever he wants. No, no, no. This is a a show about technology, culture, mostly Google, duffing it, Mm. which is what today is going to be about. (laughs) But before we begin, by the way, it's just the three of us today. Old school. I'm Neelai. That's Paul. Hello. Dieter's here. I was the one scratching the microphone. I'm very sorry. Well, you just made somebody very happy, Dieter. (laughs) Someone got tingles. Uh, Before we begin, I want to tell you all that we have been promising on the show for months, literally months, that Casey Newton- I was starting to lose faith. Would launch a podcast called Converge. It's happening. We even even did like a fake pilot on this show, and then we made people wait weeks after that. But it's happening. Uh, So Converge is a, a play on words. Convert. It's great. And I know Neil is about to give you like the actual details of how to subscribe and so on. And that's all really important. But I just want to point out that there's another meaning of con, which is like anti or bad. And so I think the Verge cast is like Angel Verge and Casey is going to do the evil Verge. Oh, yeah. Like we're we're pro Verge. He's con Verge. He's like dark matter. Casey is literally assigning people scores for how well they do as he interviews them, <laughs> which is amazing. So Converge is a, a game show interview. We've got the trailer before the show. You probably already heard it, but I just want to tell you, go find Converge on the podcast app of your choice, Apple Podcasts. Google, Spotify, whatever, hit subscribe. First episode comes out next week. It's super great. It's with the COO of House Party, uh, which is a video chat app. Spoiler alert, I've heard the show already. Yeah. It's one of the privileges. Is it of Did my you position. laugh and laugh? I laughed and laughed. It's great. So, and why'd he's you... mostly interviewing like startup people in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Like... So, one of the things, uh, Casey and I've talked about this a bunch, the news is usually overwhelmingly negative, mm. but there are still people out there in this world who are making stuff and who yes. have ideas. And they have ideas about how things should work. They have ideas about how they should sell those things to people, what they should make, why they should make it, what they should and should not be doing. And Casey really wanted to bring that energy to a show. And we thought a game should be a really fun way to do it. So he's got all kinds of games and segments to just let people into the world of how these people who are building technology products think. And then he's also really mean. Also, he solves murders. Also, he solves murders. (laughs) So just check out Converge. It's really great. Uh, I also want to congratulate Ashley and Caitlin, who wrapped up. The third, uh, the second season of Why'd You Push That Button? And I will tell you this, Caitlin just sort of confidently promised that there would be a third season at the end of the, the, the season really, finale. I really, want another season. I think it's going to happen. I'll tell you, it's, it's going to happen. I love that show. So congratulations to them. That was a great season. That will be coming back soon. But right now, that's over. So mm-hmm. Why'd You Push That Button filters out of your life. Mm-hmm. Filter converge in. 
Right. See how this is going? Right. Everyone else is smarter but than don't, us. But don't don't sleep on the flagship. <laughs> well, it's like everyone else has these like seasons. Like they begin and end, they take a break. We've just been doing this every week for like a decade with no end in sight. But here we go. Let's begin. I got to say, I said Google duffed it this week. Mm-hmm. Vlad published a huge scoop today about the selfish ledger, which... Dieter, Man. can you pull this apart? Again, I'm still, by the way, technically on leave. Mm-hmm. So I read this story, but I kind of have no idea what the context here is. Dieter, can you explain what's going on with the selfish ledger? Okay, so in 2016, the uh, the person who is the head of design at X, which is the moonshot factory uh, inside Alphabet, but in 2016, they're part of Google. He also is in charge of this thing called the Near Future Laboratory, or he co-founded. I don't know if he's in charge. Um, and so they they like to do this thing where they make these uh, speculative fiction videos or like, you know, write stories or whatever of like what the future might look like. And this is one of these videos. And so it's not a thing that Google's actually doing. It's not a thing that they propose to do. Google contends that this is a thing that they were using as a thought experiment for, you know, stuff that they won't do or what imagine what would happen if they did do it. Um, I don't know if I fully buy that angle because the watching the video, it doesn't really like read so terrifying black mirror dystopia that you think that the people who made it actually think it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's the the gist of the video. Like, look, there was this failed pre-Darwinian explanation of how evolution works and it was wrong, but there's an interesting idea built into that, which is what if there were these genes and the genes are actually the thing that matter more than a person's individual will as they live their life. And there's a parallel to that with the data on your phone. And so what if we treated the data on your phone like a gene? And so as evolution continues, the data itself is the thing that expresses its will at a population level. And the user of that data is just happens to be another person that happens to have that data, have those genes or whatever. Wouldn't it be easier to just grow people in pods (laughs) and combine them with a type of fusion to create energy for the robots? almost done. So if you think about data in that way, then a bunch of interesting things happen. You can pass that data down to your children, like your genes. Uh, you, When you design, you don't design for the user. You design for the data, and you manipulate the user in service of the data uh, in the same way that, I don't know, my genes manipulate me into liking ice cream, even though it's not good for me because it makes it more likely that I will get enough calories to survive. I don't know, whatever. And so it just runs through all of these implications and ends with like, I mean, it's got like bees being creepy and insects and blah. And then it ends with like, you know, what if we change the whole world by subtly giving people prompts on their phone based on the needs of the data such that we can change human behavior at a population level and make the world a better place? One of the, the one of the great most practical things that happens in the actual video is the algorithm realizes that it doesn't know the weight of a certain user, and that obviously can't stand. <laughs> you, need know, you need the data because the data yeah. is the most important thing. So the, the algorithm, I think it, it starts shopping for a scale. Mm-hmm. I don't think it finds any scales to its liking. So basically, creates. A, a device that it can advertise to the user at a, a, a correct price that the, obviously they know the user can <laughs> will go for it to get the user to buy the scale in order to add that data point to this. Okay. 
Yeah. So then you'll have a scale so, to weigh you. Yeah. So let me let me just because this was an internal video, it was not meant for public consumption. We asked Google, we asked X about it, and this is their statement. We understand if this is disturbing, it is designed to be. This is a thought experiment by the design team from years ago. It was only two years ago. Uh, that uses a technique known as quote speculative design to explore uncomfortable ideas and concepts in order to provoke discussion and debate. It is not related to any current or future products. So Google's very strong contention, and like this. Is is true is that they don't they didn't actually intend to do anything with this but i still think that this was one of the most boneheaded things that that company has produced in a while second only to duplex <laughs> yeah. well, well, google has not had a great week and i you yeah. know the, the larger context i actually took all the facebook out of our show today because we've talked about facebook so much but the context is Facebook has just had this incredibly rough run, and the entire time of that run, there's been this quiet chorus of people saying, hey, Google does all this stuff too, and the reason we give Google a pass is Google's utility is higher mm. to the average user, right? The, the trade-off you make with Facebook is, you know, you see your ex-girlfriend's family, and it makes you feel bad, or you see some fake news or whatever, and that the value you're getting back from Facebook in exchange for the value that you're giving them and they're aggregating and selling is like, it's hazy. So you can, it's easy to make them the villain and the utility you get from Google, which provides probably your email, which provides search, which provides YouTube, like because of the value of that trade is higher, we're not looking at it as closely, but it's always been coming. I I would add to that. I feel like Google doesn't have a, a virality problem where I give Google some information and then it seems to like leak out everywhere else. I'm sure it does in lots of ways, and obviously it does majorly with advertising. But it, it was a lot more tangible with Facebook that if you told Facebook something, it might be used in by a random right. company to do a random thing. With Google, right. you feel so, like you're giving Google the information so Google can do something. No, this is so I refuse to use Facebook login, and I happily use Google login. I could not tell you why. Yeah. I do think there's a sense where that one of the things that Google hasn't had to deal with, but Facebook has, is that there's the news feed and people spend hours analyzing the news feed and is it showing fake news and is it showing real news and is it making people biased and is it putting people in bubbles, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always sort of been, not as loudly as maybe I could, but sort of saying, hey, you know, Google has a news feed too, just no one pays attention to it because it's just sitting on most Android phones. And now that news feed is very explicit and very public and potentially very influential, at least as influential as Apple News, if not more, depending on how successful it is, because they've got a proper you know, Google News app that has a feed that's called For You that shows you stuff. And that is making editorial judgments on another section called Headlines that will just show you everything from everybody that and Google picks the stories. And so this whole question of is Google affecting society or not is going to become as sharp or could become as sharp as the Facebook News feed. And that has already been there with you. YouTube, right? You see, right. yep. You see dodgy Facebook videos instantly after every event. It has already been there in Google Autocomplete. There's been a, a wild range of stories about that. Adrian Jeffries did a bunch of great Autocomplete stories when she was at the Outline. I mean, it, it's there. So I bring that up all as just the context, right? Everything that's been happening at Facebook, you can apply to Google mm. in like pretty serious ways. And I think it hasn't happened because of that much higher perceived utility that you get from Google in exchange for giving it your data. But when I hear that statement, this was just a thought experiment designed to make people uncomfortable, what I think about most of all is 
A, that's what science fiction is for. Yep. So like you, okay, you have a science fiction team, but like science fiction authors don't usually have the world's biggest Google. AI company sitting <laughs> next to them being like, oh, that's a good idea, right? Like they don't have the ability to turn their bad ideas into reality at the scale and ambition that Google does. And second, science fiction is supposed to serve as a deterrent in those ways. Like you don't want to build the matrix. Black Mirror is supposed to show you dark realities. 1984 was supposed to be a dark reality after the end of World War II, right? It's like um, Facebook bought Oculus. Oculus very famously used to give everybody a copy of Ready Player One when they got hired at the company. Mm. You know, the, the conversation on Ready Player One has changed dramatically, right, in terms of how people view it. Is this just entertainment? Is this a vision of the future? Is this actually just like a weird deeply flawed book about one man's wish fulfillment that like is actually really exclusive like exclusionary to a lot of people to use that kind of fiction is like difficult right like the way we contextualize fiction changes over time again and again and again so to create your own fiction be like that does not explicitly say this is the future we are trying to avoid but instead this is just an ex you should watch this video if you haven't watched yeah, the video go watch the video watch it's the on the video. site it is a pretty happy video. It is a pretty charming video. I, I will say to bolster their claims that this is just speculative, I feel like the music is a little foreboding. It's not yeah, happy. The music is a little foreboding. It's not happy ukulele. Yeah. Right? But it's not one of those like the, cartoon, here's a new app <laughs> videos. <laughs> if 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 you're a futurist and you want to make these Black Mirror videos and you and you want to like have it be artistic and you know compelling to watch, I get that. But to Neil's point, if you're Google, in particular, the idea that you care more about the data on the user's phone than you do about the user itself is goes to the very heart of whether or not people trust your company. And you should consider that thing radioactive and you should never approach letting anybody in your company express that idea without immediately also expressing the other thing. And this isn't about yeah. censoring Google internally in their internal communications, whatever. Uh, it's it's just like it's it's shockingly naive to think that someone would make this thing and not realize that what he's done is like grabbed hold of the third rail of like Google and its trust problem, potential trust problem, and shook it. To make that more concrete, so the way it's explained in the video, they're referencing the selfish gene concept. The idea that genes, it's not survival of the fittest as far as like individuals or species, it's survival of the fittest genes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, genes, you're kind of personifying them when you're talking about them in this way, but genes will value their survival over the survival of their host. So right. it, 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 the video makes it pretty clear that they're talking about <laughs> valuing the data that's collected about people over the people. Yeah. It's, okay. it's yeah. Let me try. Let me, let me just do. Well, I, let me say one more piece of criticism about and, this. And then I, I got one more. Too. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, they're not well, I've been working on a, a sci fi novel on and off uh, forever. Uh, and I recently pivoted to a new one. And I was very sad when we ran the story because I feel like Google stole my thunder. <laughs> so I kept my, my, my concept was called the algorithm. Yeah. And the whole world was run by like a, 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 a single algorithm that was designed to, to maximize happiness. And it was based on the desires that it could detect of humans. So you're writing a sci-fi novel. Of course, it's got to have some sort of dystopia. <laughs> So I was like, well, what's my dystopia here? Like, I'm trying to create, like, a, a something that is as utopia as possible. It seems like this is the best case scenario, the best algorithm ever. What's wrong with it? 
misanthropy. Ooh. If you base an algorithm based on what everybody wants, what you what companies can or what gadgets and and AI algorithms can detect about what people actually want, some people want to hurt other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really do. And anyways, that's yeah. where I'm that's where I'm at with my sci-fi novel. Well, if you are a book publisher, you got half a pitch that has already been upended <laughs> by reality. But Paul's available right. at Future Paul on Twitter. But I'm, so I'm with you on that. I think it's not only that people want to hurt each other. It's that this implies that there is an objective best life for you to live yeah. and that a computer system can nudge you into it. And I that is just not true. Like the reason we bang on about diversity and inclusiveness is that the world is like better when everyone is living slightly different lives and like creating things that like change us mm. as opposed to an army of like wage slaves who are buying things. Like how did Google expect to make any money off of this? Like they sell ads. <laughs> like how do you target ads when everyone is the same because the algorithm has nudged them <laughs> towards total conformity? Well, I, I think this is an important this is an important thing for if all people in power to understand because I think we've learned a lot there's been a lot of like recent research about how humans may or may not do things that are against their own interest mm -hmm. and I think that's true in a lot of cases uh, and it kind of depends on like maybe it's against your short term interest or it's for your long term or it's for your short term and it's against your long term but just because people do things that are against their own interest does not mean that an outside third party is going to have a very good shot at doing something better for that person's own interests. Yeah. All right. Who wants to play devil's advocate and make the case for this video to exist? This video is great if Google says, hey, this looks like exactly where we're headed as a company. Do we want to do that to people? Yeah. And if, the, if it was explicitly presented in that sort of context, like, yo, we need to have a conversation because we're trying to learn everything about people and we're trying to mold their actions. Uh, you know, they, the, Google presented a lot of stuff trying to help people, you know, use their devices less or be more, you know, uh, more what's called mindfulness. At the recent Google I.O., you know, Google is in, interested in not just collecting data about people, but also helping people shape their actions to be quote unquote better for the, those people. Uh, so Google is on this path, and so it's, it's something Google should be thinking about, and I hope it was presented in that context. Yeah, if this was a— yeah, we just don't know the answer to that question. Like, it was an internal thing, and maybe it was presented like, all right, let, let's have a symposium on shit we should never do, and then they, they kick it <laughs> off with that video. Like, that's totally possible. Yeah, I think that—but that's the moment we're in now, right, for, for every tech company. Like, obviously, Google and Facebook, because of their data collection— you know, the, the focus is on them, the scrutiny is on them. But if you think about just behavior modification as a goal of tech companies, mm -hmm. A, they all want to do it. They all want to yeah. make you use their app more. So they're definitely trying to make your behavior sticky. Mm -hmm. And second, you know, if you have an Apple Watch, it will literally tap you on the wrist and be like, stand up. Yep. Like, that's wild, right? <laughs> like, it's the same thing. And there, there's just this idea. Liz Lopato wrote an entire piece for us, amazing feature. You should go back and read it, about behaviorism in the a Apple Watch and how it's designed to adjust your behavior towards what Apple believes is a more healthy outcome, what might objectively be a more healthy outcome. But they're all trying to modify your behavior in this way. And I, that's like a new... You know, I was joking at the start of the show, like, we've just been banging on in this show in one way or another for, like, 10 years. Like... Ten years ago, we're like, new laptops are here. 
they have rectangles for screens instead of squares. Netflix come to the Xbox? <laughs> and it's like, now we're like, <laughs> Apple wants you to stand up and Google wants you to be a, a human in a pod. Like, we're a little <laughs> bit off the rails. All right, so that's one, that's one Google thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You, there's also a great piece uh, Dan Primack in Axios wrote about Google Duplex today. Yeah. And he did something that was very smart. I wish we'd all done it. He said, hey, what hair salon and restaurant did you call? Mm-hmm. Because it's pretty weird that they answer the phone and they don't say, hey, you called so-and-so restaurant. They just say hello. Yeah. Do you have any follow-up on that, Dieter? Uh, no. They just, like, Google refused to answer. They just, uh, you know, and, like, I really get the sense that they made this thing. They were really happy at the, like, during the keynote reaction. And then everything since, and they're like, oh, God. Uh, and, like, they just, they don't, they they would really like the conversation to move on. And so they they tried to no comment it. And it might be because the answers are like not great. Maybe it wasn't a real demo. Maybe it was staged in some way. Uh, although, like, I don't know. Someone asked me if like, am I am I now uh, on board with all of these uh, Google Duplex truthers? Like, <laughs> I don't know if it was real or not. I, I I mean, I guess I assume it was, and they just edited it. But I mean, at some point, like, the thing isn't going away. They should just they should just have somebody come out say some stuff, answer some questions, and then they can move on. Because this, like, hoping we're all going to stop talking about it is not working for them. Yeah, I mean, it was the star of their show. Like, how do you... It would be like if they put out a trailer for the next Avengers movie, and they're like, okay, now everyone stop. Stop all (laughs) speculation about this blockbuster movie that we've... Like, this was the thing. It was the highlight of their their I.O. presentation. And yep. to not have anything ready to follow up, I think, is kind of awkward. And I, and I think a big part of this, uh, I'm very proud of the of that edge computing piece I, I did a little a few weeks back, just because I just see more and more of these these software companies plan to be responsible for the end to end everything of everything. And so when you launch or announce a product that is somehow is so is so large it has such a large reach and has so many implications you have to you have to think it through if 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 the selfish ledger video or the google duplex thing if they're tech demos if they were explaining like you know here's how we could we could store data for for passing on to your kids you know here, as a technology mm-hmm. instead of a here's how we change the entire world because we as a ambitious company want to run the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Ben Thompson, who runs Factory, which is a great newsletter, website, media Both. experience that you can have, but well worth it. He wrote a, a thing after all these developer conferences where he was like, Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook op- occupy different ends of a spectrum. Apple and Microsoft make you tools, mm-hmm. and Google and Facebook want, want the tools to do things for you. Hmm. Right. And like that's why their approach to privacy is just like radically different. Right. Apple, once you buy the tool from Apple and Microsoft, they kind of don't care. They would like some data to help improve the tool so that they can make better tools. Right. But Google, I mean, literally their tagline is make Google do it for you. Right. So in order to do things for you, they need to have this vast amount of data so they can predict what you might want done and how you might want it done. And I think this, that is the framework for both the selfish ledger and for duplex. Like, how much do you want? your tools to go out and do things for you. And that's in you know the history of technology. All technology really ever does for you is like automate things, like just up a chain of complexity. Right. And at some point you're like, okay, stop. Like we got as far as please encode the video for me. <laughs> like 
right? Like, please bring me a selection of videos instead of me going to a video store. Like, you've automated that process, but I don't need you to literally film me all day every day and then make a selection of videos for me out of my life, which is something that Google will happily do for well, you. They will <laughs> love to. <laughs> like that, all that is like. It's true. Like there's certain things where it's like, hey, that's part of, that's part of what I think of as living on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like things Again, that I was excited about. So you could just do. grow the people in vats <laughs> and then combine them with the type of fusion <laughs> to power your AI construct. So, all right. So that's like all very heady. Mm-hmm. But Paul, I want to ask you about something. We got there's a bunch of actual Google things happening, and I want to start with. Which is going to sound very weedy, but I think it's important. They're removing the secure indicator from HTTPS websites, so they're they're flipping the user expectation. So right now it says secure. Right. In September yep. you get a little lock icon in Chrome, just in Chrome. But what's going to happen is they're taking away the lock icon, so your expectation is that everything is HTTPS. Yeah. And if you go to a non secure website, it will say not secure. So Google's trying to push the whole web towards HTTPS. From what I can tell, this is actually much more controversial than it seems. Because I would like everything to be HTTPS, but that like has some like, A, there's like certificate authorities in the mix. There's a little bit of web centralization. Like It's uh, a big move for Chrome to just like impose this on the web. I don't know. I feel like the, the HTTPS transition has been pretty uh, well engineered. Uh, there was this big effort called Let's Encrypt because yeah, I've 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 like uh, helped like my dad has a graphic design company and they make a bunch of WordPress sites, right? I have like called a certificate authority on the phone and got like uh, like a certificate to put HTTPS on a site because it needed it for like an online store. And it was a pain in the ass, and it's not a pain in the ass anymore. Let's Encrypt is is software. I think uh, Mozilla helped a lot with it. A lot of big tech companies were part of this initiative to make it basically a, a, a almost automatic part of spinning up a web server. So anything that, it, that is built now and new, it's uh, it's almost by default that you have HTTPS. And uh, there are so many reasons and so many vulnerabilities when you don't have HTTPS uh, that it's just it's just too huge of a liability to. I mean, uh, well, I'm happy that now nowadays it's hard to find yeah. a non-HTTPS site. I think it's a great achievement of the tech community, and yeah, Google's going to be a little heavy, heavy-handed with it, but I, I feel like they should be because it is such a huge security hole. Dieter, do you, do you see the flaw here? I mean. In theory, you are making it harder to make a web page, and that's bad for, you know, indie people who want to make something for the web. Uh, it, in theory, makes the web slightly less open. But in practice, I think Paul's right. It's not that hard to get HTTPS. And, like, if you really think about it, maybe we would have been better off if it had sort of built into the fabric of the web in the first place. So, like, they're more heavy-handed about it. It may cause a few problems, but I think the scale of those problems relative to the scale of the threat of not having HTTPS be, like, the default uh, makes it so that I'm, I don't know, I, I was not uh, upset about this at all. Well, maybe I'm the only one. I'm not really upset about it. I think I'm just upset about, I like the lock indicator, Right, like, <laughs> no, it's just, like they're the, switching like the, that default, but it's taking so up some of that you the browser yeah, bar I, I'm real with estate. You, but I take that switch from we are promoting security to we're punishing those that we don't deem oh. secure enough is very punitive to me. Mm. Right, the lock icon is like a reward. 
It's like, look for this mm. and you'll, you'll be happier. And like, there's a lot of ways Google can promote that and make that a thing. Mm-hmm. Or they could have the lock icon and then also have not secure. But to say like, this is the default and the other option is punitive, I think is, it's one of those things where like, Google runs the web and we just have to like get over it sometimes. And this is what they want to do with it. So this is what's going to happen. Like, this is what I mean. Again, it's like I wish they had a, doing stuff. I wish they had one of these icons on their new text messaging platform. <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, actually, technically, I do believe it is uh, end-to-server uh, encrypted. Yeah, but then the selfish ledger can read all your text messages and be like, <laughs> yeah. stop talking to him. <laughs> Is a bad influence. Try to slice can tell my screen. You feel sad when you text this person. Yeah. All right. Two more <laughs> Google things, and we got to read an ad and we'll move on to the next stuff. The entire Nest ecosystem went down. Yay. This is what I mean. Google's like duffed it a lot this week. They just put out their smart locks with Yale. Yeah. They have the new yeah. Nest Protect security system. I have a Nest thermostat. They have obviously the cameras. Just all went offline for a while. And then they tweeted their, their follow up was like, we're working on bringing it back. The physical controls still work. That's yeah. just rough. Like, uh, it makes me really uncomfortable to think that suddenly, like, the reason you invest in this stuff is, like, remote authority and, like, management, edge computing. Edge computing. And then, like, the servers oh, go down dude. and, like, now it's not a computer anymore. It's just a door lock. I got a text message today from uh, my niece whose Minecraft Realms server wasn't working. Like, Mojang, yeah. creator of Minecraft, owned by Microsoft sells, like, uh, uh, Minecraft servers to, I mean, in this case, it's a kid paying money yeah. <laughs> for a cloud service that went down. And I was like, man, I wonder how hard it would be to teach her how to set up her own <laughs> Minecraft <laughs> server and get away from this centralized control. It, I mean, it all just comes back to how much do you trust as, as more and more things become more and more monopolistic. Like, I bought Blink video cameras, mm-hmm. and they got acquired by Amazon. And now, literally, the entire app is covered in Amazon logos. Like, you open the really? app, it's like, blink, powered by Amazon. And, it, like, you get a, like, motion detected. And you, like, go to watch the video. And the loading screen of the video is, blink, powered by Amazon. It's like, I, I gave you the money. Um, but as everything kind of gets swallowed up, you have to put a lot of faith. Like, if your life, if your door locks are Google, your cameras are Google, your thermostat is Google, your email is Google... Like, it, I like Sundar. I think he's a good CEO. His heart's in the right place. If he leaves and, like, someone evil takes over, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just gave you everything. All right, one more Google thing. And this one, to me, is the most confusing. We have talked on the show a lot about how YouTube Red is, like, the best, the best, one of the best products we pay for. Yeah. I pay for it. Do you pay for it? Yeah, I hate ads, and it, it, it's $10 a month to not see ads. That... Yep. As far as I can tell, is now twelve dollars a month. Well, Correct. I'm grandfathered in, but yes, and but I, so, I, so the YouTube Red is going away. You right. will not be able to buy YouTube Red anymore. Right. You can buy YouTube Music, which is a music YouTube service. Music Premium. No, no there's YouTube Music and YouTube Premium. No, YouTube Premium and YouTube Music Premium. No, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's what they're called. <laughs> can don't they? Can an AI just name the things for them? So this is true. YouTube, from the CEO on down, has always thought of YouTube Red, bizarrely, as a music streaming service. Uh-huh. Yep. Very unclear why, because they run a music streaming service. They also run another music streaming service. <laughs> Google. 
Just Google. Google doesn't want they they would they would be happy if everybody forgot that Google Play exists. In fact, they are. I think the plan is they're going to replace Google Play Music with this one of these one of the versions of this YouTube stuff, right? Yeah. So they should. Um, so like the idea that you have yeah, a YouTube Music subscription instead of a Spotify subscription makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some sense. Their problem is it, it, Google Play Music is kind of like a Google Reader situation. They might not have a huge user base, but it's a huge user base, or it's a decent sized user base of people who use it because it's a very, it's very particular to their interests. They want to be able to upload MP3s to the cloud and listen to them. Well, I do you think, think that there's like Google there must Play. be yeah. But like, do Apple you think that do, there's okay. a thing? Where I know YouTube is part of Google, but they've got their own CEO, and maybe there's just some straight up like power play dynamics going on between YouTube and Google, where their YouTube's like, "Yo, people listen, more people listen to our music than, than your, your music service, so we're just gonna do our thing." And Google's like, "Wait, wait, but we have the brand and the and they're like, "Well, we did it." And they're like, "Okay, well, we'll figure out Google Play Music later." Yeah, or it's just like a focus problem, like. I mean, yeah. again, you've talked to Sundar. I've talked to Sundar. I couldn't tell you what Sundar listens to, right? Like, nope. D- is he like deep in the weeds of his the music experience? Like, maybe he is. Maybe Sundar has playlists. He's like deep in it. He's got a vinyl collection. Like, I don't know the answer, but I do know that if if the answer is he's more interested in like AI, which is what he talks about the most, then yep. the vagaries of how something as seemingly simple as music streaming works. He's not getting. He's not giving it the attention it needs, and you that you could have like a total political power situation, or you just not have focus. Yeah, and like I will say that at Google I/O last was that only last week? Good lord, Um, I saw Spotify mentioned more often than anything else. Like in all the demos, like and Spotify, and it'll blah blah blah. It was the examples on a bunch of Google Home stuff. They just they just straight up memory hold uh, Google Play Music just completely. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was pretty clear to me that the writing was on the wall there. I mean, look, a lot of people, when you're sitting in a computer and you, you want to share a song with somebody, the easiest way to do it is to send a YouTube link, just yeah. by far. Mm-hmm. Everyone's guaranteed to be able yeah. to, like, go watch a song on YouTube. That's, like, a big thing to build off of. YouTube Red, with its, like, premium video stuff, I think their only popular show is Cobra Kai, which I haven't watched yet, but people tell me it's somewhat I, interesting. Okay, my whole thing with this is I am actively offended for every penny YouTube spends on original content trying to compete with like Netflix and HBO and Hulu instead of giving my YouTube red money to content creators. But they are, but they are right. They're paying content creators (sighs) to make that content. Yeah. There's a bunch of YouTube red shows. Nobody watches them. Not like the most popular YouTubers are getting YouTube red money. It's true. It's true. It's yeah. just not in the way that you I, want it to. I, I get like promoted. I get promoted an ad for – it's not an ad. It's like YouTube's weird like semi-social feed of what's happening on YouTube right now, which their mm-hmm. app is turning into. I'm scrolling through YouTube on my phone, and there's like a thing like, hey, watch this YouTube Red original. And it's like, it's like a, a naked man on top of a naked woman. And it's like here's a cool, sexy new show, right? Yeah. If I was a YouTube a regular YouTuber and I made a cool, sexy new show with a naked man on top of a naked woman, that would be demonetized right. by YouTube. Right. Yes, it would. And YouTube yeah. is taking my YouTube red money, now my YouTube premium money, <laughs> whatever they want to call it, to make shows that I have no 
I, I don't care about it at all. And I, you know, compare that to the Twitch model of directly supporting the creators. You know, like the percentage of your money, like where it goes to. It's 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 pretty frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I think they've what YouTube is in is a competition for obviously finite attention, right? Yeah. So they have to compete with Netflix. Like if you decide to spend all of your video watching time on Netflix, like there, you only have so many hours a day to give to, unless you, again, you are born in a vat. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're in a pod, they can, they can <laughs> just, just duplicate you and then you have more this hours. This is why they build self-driving cars. You're just going to be in a yeah. self-driving car, temperature controlled, think- watching YouTube Red Originals for $10 a month. Do you think Google's pod design has like a firewall and you can't hit up Netflix or Hulu. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, why do you think they're so quiet in net neutrality lately? <laughs> no, that's horrible. They are they are suspiciously quiet. Anyway, it just seems like the simpler thing that they should do is advertise YouTube with no ads mm-hmm. for some amount of money. Right. YouTube Music, our new competitor to Spotify, and that's it. Yep. Right. And what they're trying to do is figure out where YouTube original content that you subscribe to belongs in that mix. And I so far they haven't had the answer. And I think what they're realizing is so many people watch music on YouTube that they can convert those people into paying for no ads. And then they can like provide some other product. And that is distracting them from what any other human would understand is going on. Yeah. Right? So like, the their their data that... is is driving them away from what their users are intuiting. Yeah. You know I get the saying? sense, though, that some of YouTube Red is also about placating music labels that are unhappy with how much free music happens on YouTube. And so YouTube Red isn't just about converting people into paying a subscription. It's also about being able to say to music labels, no, no, we're a paying service, too, and here's a slightly larger cut for you. Please don't get mad at us. Yeah. Yeah, and YouTube Music, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, mostly feels like like it's like half of what I'm listening to is like quote-unquote illegally uploaded stuff. It's stuff, uh, music that is uploaded by not the copyright holder, let's say mm-hmm. that. But they're right. able to detect it. and Yeah, they are, but it's not like the great, it's not ideal either. I don't know. I well, don't I mean, know. you can definitely like pitch shift your way around it. Look, anyway. go 90. Verizon, <laughs> oh, it's your God. chance. Come on. <laughs> I want to come back and be like. Give Phil DeFranco a billion dollars to do whatever the hell he wants on your platform lead a YouTube exodus because people are ready for it because YouTube does not understand their creators. I think the creators are ready for it. The users might not follow them. I think that's like the, that's, this is like being like, we should build a better iMessage competitor in the United States. Like all, all um, there's one right. piece of content on YouTube that you need. You're not going to open some other app. I'm At least, ready. Whatever. I'm ready to open it. Well, that app. was a long list of very confusing things Google was doing. <laughs> That was the first 45 minutes of our show. (laughs) This episode of Vergecast is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Don't use your bank or PayPal, says TransferWise, because they can get your money from A to B, but that transfer costs you more than it should. A lot more. It's the old way. The smarter and cheaper way to send money is TransferWise. TransferWise was founded by two friends, Tavet and Christo, who were frustrated by their bank's bad exchange rate and high fees. So they wondered, what if we could bypass banks entirely? They built TransferWise. That was seven years ago. Today, more than two million people use TransferWise. People sending money home, business paying suppliers, freelancers getting paid. The list goes on and on. TransferWise's clever new technology gives you a great exchange rate and a low fee. It'll put some extra money in your pocket for the important things because no one's ever said it's important that my bank gets extra money. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash podcast. Download the app. That's transferwise.com slash podcast. It's the wise way to send money. 
So I have a list here of things. Some phones, some gadget news. Mm. I'm just going to say them out loud. Okay. And you, you tell me what's going on or how you feel. Okay. I'm going to say a gadget. You say an emotion. <laughs> Ready? OnePlus 6 announced with glass back and notched 6.3-inch display. Happiness. Yeah? This, the notch is just here. Yeah. It's not going away. Ashley pointed out in the, if you didn't know, The Verge does a daily newsletter called Command Line. Ashley points out that, that uh, Dan Seifert, who does a lot of our reviews, points out that he's used a, you know, a million flagship phones and every one of them has some sort of problem. And those problems are all, always more significant than a notch. Yeah. Well, you got to put the sensor somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that, I mean, this phone, it's an OLED, but it still has a chin. If you're going to have a chin, you can have a forehead. Most faces do. We're just not getting a lot out of the ears. You know, the iPhone 10, it's been a yeah. while now. I don't you get don't a get lot out of the out. ears. You, you get, a, you don't, you get, the status bar up there, and so a bunch of icons, and so you end up getting an extra, call it fifty pixels. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's well designed, I had a whole, I was going to do a whole video about this for processor, but uh, I decided I actually don't have five minutes to say of things to say. It's it looks fine, it doesn't look great, but you get an extra fifty pixels if they manage the status bar well. Then you get some more use, usable space up there, and it's fine. And you know what? Like a bunch of phones are going to be notched for a while. It's a design trend. All this stuff happens with design for other objects. And so this is the trend of this thing. And it's not that big a deal. Like, I really am not worked up about notches anymore. Okay. I just, I never really was, honestly. So Dieter's emotion was a Dieter face. Oh. Yeah. Which is kind of shrug. The smiley emoji with a straight line from out. <laughs> my, All right. My, uh, my bigger question is if there's a like, – th- we've also seen phones with notches at the bottom, but you can't call a notch at the bottom a notch. So if the notch at the top, is it like a top notch, like a top knot, and people hate top knots, and so they're annoyed by that? Mm. Is it a bottom notch? Is it a, is it a crotch? So a bottom what notch we, would be a goatee? A bottom? I don't think we should call it a crotch. It's <laughs> okay. hard to disagree on that one. <laughs> Bo- uh, bottom notch. A, a botch. <laughs> a botch. You botched it. <laughs> All right. That's horrible. All right. Next one, Dito. This one's for you. The red hydrogen one coming to AT&T and Verizon this summer. I will say uh, the CEO of Red said this one's going to be delayed because of carrier certification. And the way he explained the problems of carrier certification was, I believe, explicitly saying, we have no idea what we're doing, which is yep. great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> whoops, we didn't know how hard this would be. This phone to me seems completely insane, but I love that the I want are to see out. this holographic screen. I want to know like that I also have let me count the like amount of faith that I have that their modular system is going to matter like very low. Maybe they'll do something cool with their cameras and people just end up buying these as like accessories for red cameras. But the screen, man, I got to see it. I my sense is like we saw Amazon try this with the Fire Phone. This is clearly something different. But am I really going to want to buy a phone strictly for, you know, this thing that you can't see unless you see it? I don't know. I Also, there's, there's just a whole lot that, of unanswered questions here. Shouldn't Red know that this cool displays without content aren't going to do – I mean, they, they're in the content creation business, right? They make cameras. Yeah. Are they going to make a weird 3D camera to shoot for the holographic display? Like, I don't know. But I do Mostly think the I Fire just, Phone was a disaster because yeah. it ran Fire OS. The yeah. Fire Phone had run Android and they sold it for cheap. Might have been a different thing. This is going to run Android. I yeah, do, I don't know. Mostly I'm mad at Red because uh, 
seven years ago in uh, at the Verge launch party. <laughs> Wait, can we just stop? I'm out, mad at yeah. Red because seven years ago. <laughs> That's right. Seven years ago. <laughs> They launched some freaking camera, Red Dragon something, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but they were launching it uh, with a terrible live stream that wasn't well supported and nobody knew what was going on and they didn't tell anybody what was going on. And it's like a very – there's like a thing about L.A. companies, like Elon Musk does this too. We're like, yeah, we're throwing an event. We'll figure it out as we go. And everyone's like, okay, I guess we'll figure it out with you as you go. Um, anyway, I couldn't go to the Verge launch party uh, because I had to sit in a cold alley – in the middle of New York, um, on my hat because the concrete was too cold to just sit on, and try and put together a post about this camera that they had announced. Wow! And I've never I feel like them we could have let that one go, knowing yeah, what I know well. now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that post did not make or break the Verge at that time. I was a very I dedicated was, person. Yeah, we were dedicated. Everything felt like life or death. But yeah, yeah. but everything is. Everything so if is. this, you, Dieter, you got to sit on your hat and cover this phone. All right. <laughs> Ankyo's new receivers will work with Sonos thanks to upcoming June firmware update. I think this one's for Eli. This one's for me. This makes me feel very <laughs> sad. So for, here's a thing. I don't quite understand Sonos's business because of this. So right now, if you have a Sonos system, I have one. The only mm-hmm. way you can make Sonos stream music wireless through your house is to buy Sonos hardware, mm. which is a business right. I think we all understand. You give them money. They give you a thing. Right. Their service continues to operate. You pre- I, presumably Sonos's entire business is predicated on, upon their customers buying ever-increasingly larger houses. So you have to buy more and more speakers. I'm sure in a deck somewhere that's listed as a contingency, like customers have finite home sizes. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to like pay them some money to buy more speakers or you know they roll out their Alexa update and it doesn't work on the old Play One, so you got to buy a Sonos one. But it's a, it's a hardware business that they're in. Mm-hmm. They're licensing out the software to make receivers do this now they're in a software licensing business, and those margins are weird. And also, you know, th- their hardware will be competitive with other people's hardware that runs Sony. Like that becomes a much more complicated business to be in because this is effectively the OS for streaming music in your house. But what I will say is that for a decade, I have bought Pioneer equipment. Ankyo owns Pioneer, and I just bought not Pioneer stuff. Uh... I bought a Denon. Denon has their own. Broke ass Sonos competitor called Heos is true. Heos? Yeah, it's a whole Heos? there's a whole line H E O S. It's awful, all caps, of course. <laughs> and you can buy weird Heos speakers Heos. for your house. It's a whole thing. <laughs> and I'm never gonna do that shit. Yeah. And so, but because they have it, they're never gonna do this Sonos thing. Because then you won't buy their broke ass Heos speaker. Just give up. I just gotta throw it away. But anyway, I'm I'm actually very happy about this. I think. Sonos saying, okay, we're going to be the layer for music and all these devices, and we're going to expand this ecosystem is the only way they can compete with Amazon. And their soundbar is leaking all over the place. I think they're finally realizing that they are they need to compete, and they're moving a lot faster than Sonos ever moved before. But come on, yeah. man. I just bought the thing. I'm so sorry. After uh, Anyway. Sorry, Neelay. Here's one. New Wi-Fi standard can let different mesh routers work together. Do you believe this will ever happen? I feel like there will be three companies that will support it, and then there will probably be, be important companies that don't support it that you will prefer their mesh routers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, will Eero let Linksys add on to an Eero system? I mean, it really sounds nice. I, I'm in, I'm in a, a real I'm a real situation where I have my own Wi-Fi router and my roommate has his own Wi-Fi r- router. <laughs> How did you end up in that one? Because we have a railroad-style apartment 
that is just okay. yeah, yeah. not a good layout. You can't, you can't get, we also have the backyard and we also smoke out front all the time. So we have really, we have a real yeah. long situation and you can't just put a Wi-Fi router in the middle of our house and have it work in the backyard and in the front. Yeah. So now his, he has the room in the front. So my, my, when I like, when I'm walking towards my house, my phone jumps on his Wi-Fi network. And so by the time I'm in my room, my phone's having trouble using Wi-Fi because it's on his Wi-Fi network. I don't know. It's, so anyways, all that to Aren't say. Aren't there hundreds of products now that can I solve this problem? I clearly need a mesh yes. network system. <laughs> yeah. But it's like if, if these were interoperable, he could buy his own mesh router. I could buy my own mesh router, and they would work together. And then if we ever, like, break up his roommates, we still have useful components for yeah, our future Yeah, but you could buy your own networks. Eero, and he could buy his own Eero. You're saying you, you don't want to, like, force him into a, an ecosystem. Yeah. <laughs> Every broadcast comes back to the same problem. The network effects of ecosystems. This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. Okay, we're back from the ad. Let's make fun of the HTC phone. Okay, well, first <laughs> let's do uh, a, a segment that I do every week. Oh, man, we're really making people wait for it. It's called, Please Don't Block My Chain. Oh, I see that. Look, HTC officially announces a new blockchain-powered phone. <laughs> that was the whole point. <laughs> I was just mad at you. Put my segment, which rarely happens, into yeah. the official list of real news. <laughs> this has got to be the silliest news okay, of the week. Well, so... I think it's silly, but it's also I, I'm very interested and excited about. Obviously, there's a lot of buzz, and that makes it really frustrating and difficult to separate the wheat from the the, the, the chaff. But I do think there's something very fundamentally interesting about a Bitcoin and Ethereum, and one of the biggest barriers to the whole ecosystem is the the problem of where you keep your private key, right? right? So all a Bitcoin wallet is 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 basically a string of random numbers that you that you dreamed up that you can prove ownership over. You can prove that you generated them because you know this private key. If anybody else gets your private key, they have your money. So it and so, but you, the private key is always going to be like longer than an easy to remember password if it's going to be secure. And so you have to find a way to securely store the thing that could get access to all your money. I don't know if a phone is the right way to do that, but there's also other interesting things. Like if you can securely like hold on to your uh, private keys, you know, there's something called local Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. People, you don't have to use the actual Bitcoin network or the, you know, the, the blockchain like ledger to transfer Bitcoin. You can just trade somebody a private key. So there's other interesting like offline things that could be happen that could happen, but basically a, a huge pro problem with uh, technologies like Bitcoin and Ethereum are usability, and the biggest usability problem is key management. And I have no idea how this phone might do it, but were this phone to have a good solution for private key management, that would be a good thing in the world. So those are some good ideas. Mm -hmm. Here are HTC's ideas. 
To start with, the Exodus phone, the phone's called Exodus, will have support for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other major networks with more partnerships expected to come later. HTC yep. envisions a native blockchain network that uses Exodus phones as nodes to support cryptocurrency trading between users. Yeah. This, to me, sounds like it's going to be doing some compute because it has to in order to validate exchanges. Which is why I said I think the battery life is going to be terrible. HTC is also reportedly allowing considering people to purchase the phone of cryptocurrency, which has nothing to do with the phone. You can just buy anything with cryptocurrency. So their whole idea is they're going to build a network that's centered on the phone yeah. in some way. And that to me seems like they're an iced tea company that put blockchain in there. Well, that's, name what, that's what I said. In order to generate some that's nonsense what I said. hype mean, on the you stock mean, market. You mean the drink, not yeah. iced tea. The, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cryptocurrency <laughs> trading between users. That's why I was saying if it's something like local Bitcoin, if all it is is phones in like a one to one setting facilitating a secure exchange of keys, then that might be like the nice thing to have because the problem with local bitcoin is muggings <laughs> uh, right. so if that's what the, the, that was my optimistic spin on what that could be if they if they're if they're just going to make their own coin and call it htc h hd coin i don't know man. it's a bad idea uh, poor htc my tweet about this was how many times can htc kill itself all right last few things mm-hmm Paul, you, you mentioned your Electron piece earlier. Uh -huh. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because Microsoft put out a new Surface Hub 2, which looks amazing. It's like a giant TV computer that you can rotate from portrait to landscape in meetings. Uh -huh. I will say every time Microsoft puts out one of these things, they show off meetings that look like the best fucking meetings in the world. <laughs> and like no meeting. Like I have sat here being like, I'm going to buy a Surface Hub 2. You know, they, they, it has a camera on top so you can video conference with somebody who's like the size of a real person. Mm -hmm. And I just imagine me and Dieter just having those meetings all day long. Like, that seems amazing. <laughs> and then I, I kept on trying to think, why would I ever rotate this from portrait to landscape? And my entire workday now is just going to be finding reasons to rotate giant displays. But so that that's Microsoft. They're also thinking about new, reportedly thinking about new cheaper Surface tablets. Microsoft's really pushing ahead with desktop computing in this way after you know, all this stuff happening with Windows. Like, they're trying to put computing in new form factors. Mm. But your point in your piece was that all of desktop computing is moving to Electron, which is sort of undifferentiating all this hardware. Or a very significant portion. I just feel like, the, it, to Microsoft's credit, Microsoft has done the most as, as far as I can tell. Uh, so Electron is uh, basically uses parts from Chrome to allow people to make something that's kind of like a website, kind of like like a, a web server, and package it together, uh, basically using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to make a desktop application. And those desktop applications are very portable, and they work very well, in my experience, on Mac, Windows, and Linux, which is something that's very hard to do otherwise. So now that Chrome OS is supporting Linux applications, I discovered myself, I'm just installing Electron applications. <laughs> and it's so silly because Chrome OS has a really great Chrome browser, but it's that's not the Chrome browser that I'm getting in Electron apps because it's repackaged and it's not accelerated right now in Chrome OS, all that stuff. And I just like, I've I've been a complainer about Electron. I feel like a lot of Electron apps are inefficient and slow and are like Slack <laughs> and, <laughs> and sad. But at this point, it's very clear that developers want to do this. 
they and they, they want to make cross-platform applications. It's happening on mobile too, to a huge extent. They want to make cross-platform applications using web technologies. My big question here is: Aren't progressive web apps so supposed to? solve some of the problems with Electron because they use the operating system's native HTML renderer? Is it is Electron better than progressive web apps because you can have some of that extra server stuff attached to the app in a way that you can't really do with a PWA? Yeah, well, progressive web apps are... See, and now this is a really interesting th- like a twist to the open web thing. Progressive web apps are going to be limited by the particular operating system's support for progressive web app standards, uh, but also the amount of stuff that they can do in the back end. Like, mm-hmm. I use Visual Studio Code, which is uh, an Electron app, and, you know, it can... It uses, like, Microsoft's compiler technologies to, like, look over your JavaScript and, like hint like new things to you and it, it can do and it like knows the git status of your different files it do, it's doing a lot of back-end work that wouldn't really work in a progressive web app uh, you basically right. uh electron apps are based on node.js which is a way to basically talk to linux or a linux-like computer uh which has been adapted to also work on the mac and and uh windows from javascript so you can basically do anything a computer computer can do. And progressive web apps, while they're getting way better, are really far from being able to touch your file system in that sort of way. At the same time, there are a lot of Electron apps that could very easily just be progressive web apps right now. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like the idea – I was telling Paul this before we came on the air. My mother-in-law was visiting to like help the baby. It was great. It was really helpful to have her around. But she has this like ancient Lenovo PC. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And I was like, I'm just, I'm gonna do the same thing I did with my mom. I'm just gonna get you a Chromebook. I'll get you a Pixelbook. It'd be great. And she's got one nasty Windows app that she needs to use her work. Yeah. And it's just the grossest app. And they didn't build a web portal for it, which it should. I just like looked at the app for five minutes. I was like, why isn't this just a website? Uh-huh. And there's a mobile app, but it only runs on the iPhone. It doesn't run on the iPad. So if I bought her an iPad, I was like, just use websites and then like use this one app. She'd have to like blow it up from the. It's like horrible. You can't. You want to have a good relationship with your mother-in-law and like being like, please use this blown-up iPhone app for your job is like a bad way to start that <laughs> off. So like, she's got to have a Windows PC. Mm-hmm. But if that app was an Electron app, I could do any kinds. Of, I could get her a Mac. Yeah. Right. I could get her a Chromebook and install Linux on it. Yeah. But there's like, there's like just this. This broader Which, range to of be hardware clear, it's becoming way easier now. Yeah, and that yeah. that to me that is both the promise for the user, but it's absolute peril for these desktop hardware manufacturers, right? Like if I think John Gruber has written about this a lot. If all the Mac becomes is the best host for Electron apps, then Apple's advantage starts to slip away. It does, and I don't know. It's it's just I mean it's kind of frustrating to me, uh, but at the same time. There are aspects where I do think they can compete in the sense that if if uh, a desktop vendor was making – because, you know, Electron still touches a lot of the Chrome. Like Electron c- can be, you know, in your menu bar. Electron can use like a lot of native features like touch bar and stuff like that. If companies like Apple and Microsoft were putting their best – hottest new APIs in a very easy to use way. So Electron developers are getting like the baby's first touch bar experience with Electron. Maybe they could turn it into a selling point. I also think that this is kind of a tangent, but the stuff that Google's doing of sort of decomposing 
an application where it's running in Linux, but it's viewed in Chrome OS kind of like it's not actually a browser tab, but it's kind of like a browser tab. It might solve your, I forget exactly your relation to this person. That my mother-in-law? Your mother-in-law. <laughs> it's an important one. <laughs> yes, my child's grandmother. It might solve your child's grandmother's problem if Google went all the way with it because you could just say, hey, Google, install this EXE in your cloud and let me use this EXE from any browser tab anywhere. Yeah. Google does a lot of that. All the cloud providers do a lot of that stuff for enterprise, but uh, consumers don't have a lot of that experience. Yeah, I just, but even that is like one step too much of like personal management mm-hmm. of applications in that way. Like that company that makes that app, they should do that, right? The, like it should be more incumbent on them to address a wider range of endpoints than for one person to be like, in order to get away from this nasty Lenovo notebook, I will now build a cloud server to run one exe like that. <laughs> you have to like really hate an app, but to do, you, do that, yeah. do, you, do you trust this company to do all that work? Look, we're all just going to live in it. pods anyway. Man. <laughs> just give up the trust. I, I just think you know, I because I'm putting these Linux applications on this Pixel Book for like the millionth time. Like I've I've been doing this so many times. Every time I have a new computer, I like spit up a new cloud instance or I install the applications natively. It's like I need Visual Studio Code and I need Rust and I need Node and all these things. I just like, I, you know, the, the back end of this could be kind of abstracted away and my, I feel like you could Chrome OS-ify a desktop operating system a lot better. I know Microsoft is doing a lot of stuff with like containers and putting applications in containers. I've been reading up on Docker, learning what Docker is. It's all over. This is Kubernetes. We're done here. I think there's a world of server administration and enterprise application usage that I think some consumers, maybe myself, could benefit from. And there's a world in which the second Docker is mentioned on this podcast, (laughs) but we shut it the hell down. Uh, No, if you're a Docker admin, you're doing just the Lord's work out there. Okay. I think that's it. We're a little over time. I got a baby to get back to. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you all, real quick before we go, Andy Hawkins, our great transportation reporter, interviewed the CEO of Uber, Dara Koshwarashahi. I got that wrong. But he interviewed him. Yes, he did. He said, do you, do you know it, Dieter? No, I'm not going to try. I'm not either. But Dara, the CEO of Uber, mm-hmm. is on our website. Great photos, by the way. Uh, says the feature won't just be cars. Exclusive interview. Please go read it. Andy did a great job. He's been working that beat for a long time. A lot going on with that. Please check it out. Why don't you read that? Check out the last episode of season two of Why'd You Push That Button? That's great. Again, congrats, Ashley and Caitlin. Subscribe to Converge with Casey Newton. That show is going to be a ton of fun. And... You can listen to other stuff. You can listen to Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. You can listen to Recode Pete, Recode Peter, Recode <laughs> Media with Peter Kafka. It should just be called Recode Peter. <laughs> it should be called Recode Kara and Recode Peter. Like that should be the show. They're both great shows. Great to listen to. We'll be back next week with more Vergecast. Oh, by the way, you should watch Processor with one Mr. Dieter Bone. Aww. Dieter, would you like to tell the people about your YouTube titling fiasco? Oh, so uh, the last episode was about why you should try to have a custom case. Uh, We talked to Ashley Carmen, which is great because she has a a million just bonkers cases, uh, but she has a really good attitude towards them and has really good, like, reasons for why you might want a bonkers case. So I talked about that. 
um, anyway, so uh, in my head, it was like, oh, well, this video is about the best case for you because like you should have a case that feels custom to you in some way. Um, but everyone just read it as the best case and forgot the for you part. And they were real mad at me that I didn't tell them what the best case was because that's all anybody really wants to know. <laughs> so we changed the YouTube title. Sorry it's about that, episode, everybody. And you I wasn't watch, trying to trick anybody. I you can really watch Dieter in a Backyard sand down an iPhone case, which is A+. Plus. Yeah. All right, that was a fresh cast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Rock and roll. Paul. Yanny. Promo code. Or was it Laurel? Oh, God. Yammy. You can hear them both. Yeah, you can hear them it's both. It's super easy but to hear them both. None of the words are yanny. It's yammy. Okay. <laughs> you should stop the rails. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>